This is a Thunder Dog podcast. Editor's note. We'd originally planned to call our show Across the Pondcast to represent the fact that we were both living on opposite sides of a big body of water. We failed, however, to check if that name was already in use, and so we've had to rename the show. And at the time I record this, I don't believe we've settled on a name yet, so I'm not going to announce the new name at this point in time. So just ignore the references to Across the Pondcast. Other editors note. You'll notice that we are talking about some Christmas-related topics, and by the time that this finally hits the internet, it will definitely be after Christmas. So, we do apologize for the extenuating circumstances, and hope that you can still enjoy the magic of the Christmas season regardless. Other, other editors note, we haven't also decided on theme music at this point, so, um, I guess, here's some theme music. da 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 Hello, I'm Warren. And I'm Ben. And you are listening to the first kind of episode of what we're calling Across the Pondcast. It's kind of a working title for the moment, but uh, it's going to kind of chronicle uh, some updates in our lives as we navigate the world one after university. So Ben, why don't you introduce yourself to our listening audience? Sure thing. I'm, uh, I'm Ben. I work currently as a uh, journalist slash uh, radio reporter. Uh, in southern Ontario, and I'm good friends with Warren here. We lived together for a couple of years in university. That's a pretty good recap. Um, I am also exploring a journalism career myself. I recently graduated from media studies program back in June. And fortunately for me, uh, a little while afterwards, I managed to find work at a community newspaper up in Northern Ontario. And so now I've gone from all of my life being in a suburb of the GTA. So now I live in a small town on an island in the middle of Northern Ontario. So that's a bit of a, bit of a change. It's really been a, an interesting quite an interesting experience being up here because it's it's very much unlike anything that I've experienced for large periods of time. I have some family connections to Northern Ontario, so I have experienced some of that culture, but certainly not to anywhere near the same extent that I am fully living it now. But there's been some interesting challenges I found living in a small town. Uh, making friends has been a it's, it's been a very interesting experience because I'm used to being in school settings where you're surrounded by your peers and a lot of like-minded people. And now being out on my own, a lot of people have had ex- like long-standing friendships for people that have grown up around here. And me coming in from away and trying to make new friends, it's like a lot of people have established the people that they want in their lives. And it's just kind of weird to to try to immerse yourself into some other somebody else's social network, but that's it's. Uh, I, I guess I don't know how, how would see your experience being like that with that Ben because you grew up in a bit of a small city, right? I, I did. I grew up in a. <clears throat> I grew up in a small town where um the the best thing to do was to go to this bar, but the funny thing was that every single person who went to the bar. The running joke about it was that it was the worst place ever to go. And I don't, I still don't understand the appeal because it was almost like the appeal of it was how much you hated going. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like that's, that's living in a small town in a nutshell is, is just constantly having a reason to talk about the small town that you're in just because there, sometimes there's a, there's very few things going on. 
it, in regards to well compared to you know like a big city like we were living in in uh up in mississauga yeah so um yes i do have some experience living in a small town in my case though i was raised there so when i go back there for the holidays and for visits right i have the opportunity to see friends that i was raised with and that's a lot different than what you're going through right now which i personally can't really imagine although i i did also just recently move to this new city to start my job so it's a bit similar in the way that making friends has been quite a challenge but in a city like the one that i'm in i think there is a lot more opportunity there's a lot less bottlenecking social bottlenecking if you will when it comes <laughs> to that um i was just wondering you had a population of about you know, 15 20,000 people in your uh, your small city that you grew up in. Uh, so how many bars were there? Because where I'm at right now, we have a bar in town and it's also a hotel. And then there's the Legion and that's about it in terms of where you can get your drink on in town. It's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a different experience. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> as far as actual, just dedicated bars, uh, oh, well, Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> edit my favorite place yeah it, it used to be a it used to be like at the in the industrial revolution it was huge for for all of ontario it was a big port right so a lot of a lot of bars used to be there but most of them have closed up so the only ones that are left are they've got quite a history and they're quite sketchy as a result but there isn't very many there's basically the one that i mentioned before that's really seedy and then there's another one that no one goes to that's newer, but again, no one goes there. Um, and it's more of a dance club. And then there's another one that's somehow even sketchier than the other two that people don't even brag about going to. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's quite a reputation. That's, that's about the extent. Wow. Yeah. It's uh, one thing that has really been helping me though, being up here in the small town is and I believe we have a similar situation in terms of our living arrangements is that I'm actually boarding with, I can't really call them a family, but there's a couple up here that, uh, that I've uh, made contact with and I'm actually boarding with them so that I do have some like social connections in my life, which is great. And they're like a retired couple. So it's, you know, it's, it's almost like kind of like a parental figure in a certain way as well to have. And, and that's been really helping me to, kind of smooth over the transition and actually uh there is a second room in the house and there was another person in there recently who unfortunately she just moved out uh lately but that was really good because she was like the closest thing i had to a friend in town and i really did appreciate having that connection close by so what's that what's that kind of makes me you... want to cry oh well cool <laughs> um <laughs> what's how have you found your your uh, your living situation out there too man and I know you can relate to this, so I'll let you jump on in a second. But let me just put it this way. We have a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yep, fair enough. It's it's good. A similar situation to you. Like you said, um, I'm living in the basement of this house right now. It's it's right in the suburbs. So it's, it's a very nice house. Very nice. And uh, I'm living with a very nice family. So they don't... It's not like a parental relationship, but it is a, it's very different than a normal landlord tenant relationship. So it's, it's very, 
it's interesting. And I really think that moving here with that, <clears throat> um, with that relationship just right off the bat was very beneficial because I am personally the kind of person who will happily just sit in my room and not talk to anyone if given the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of forces you to get out into that social situation there. Yeah. Or at least, <clears throat> at least it, I, I want, I would call it social priming for the day. Okay. So it just gets you in the right frame of mind to go out and, and be a social butterfly like we all know you are. I I don't know about a social <laughs> butterfly, but butterfly for sure. Um. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So like the actual work situation that I'm in is, is pretty interesting because we actually produce two newspapers out of our office. And so pretty much we contribute to one of the newspapers and then there's another guy who writes articles for the other newspaper. But since he has quite a strong workload, we end up doing the layout for him. And so on Wednesday afternoons, we usually stay to work around till about six o'clock ish or so in the evening. So not terrible. And we will spend that time laying out this other paper. Uh, and then on Monday nights, it's the main paper layout night. And last night was, we had some computer issues and so we were there I, I got home about two in the morning uh last night so it's quite an intense workload out here and uh i'm i'm very fearful for the week coming up because on monday we're putting together our main paper as normal then on tuesday we're putting together the other paper together early so we normally do it wednesdays and tuesdays is our day off so we're going to do it on tuesday instead and then Wednesday, we have a regular day. Then on Thursday, we're putting together that other paper again for the following week. And then Friday, we're doing the main paper again. So it's going to be assembling four newspapers over five days, which we normally do two a week. So it's going to be really intense workload. But in the end, uh, I think it's going to work for the best because then I'm going to get two weeks to go and see some family and some old good friends back down in southern Ontario. And I'm really looking forward to uh, to enjoying some well-deserved time off so what's 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 how have you found your workload is uh with your job you know um <clears throat> i don't know my my job is it's really other than the reporting aspect obviously the output of our jobs is super different but um basically in a day if i'm if i'm not working as an anchor which which just involves using a lot of uh the anchor job is mostly compiling stories that have already been written and then assembling a newscast from that that you run for six hours uh, straight in a day. But um, <clears throat> if it's if I'm not working as a traffic reporter or anchor, then my day is basically you show up and you get working on a story, either one that is assigned to you or you have to find one and pitch it and you get done three voiced versions of that to go on air uh, later that day for their newscast. And then as soon as you're done that, you write up a web article on the same story. Uh, and then you move on to your second one for the day. So you basically, you run, you do that within, I'd say three hours is a good time limit to do. And then after that, you move on to your next story, which should air the following morning 
on air so that those anchors have even more local content to work with. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to hear that you have two weeks that you're getting off. I personally, I'm only having four days. I'll actually be anchoring on Christmas day. That'll be pretty interesting, but, uh, yeah. Um, but the, you're, so you're coming home for Christmas. So I'm, I'm curious about your, uh, your, your Christmas growing up, Warren. (laughs) I'm curious about in particular, Santa Claus. Okay, what what was your family's policy on Santa Claus? So we were definitely um, a big time believer family, and uh, a few years later we turned into believer family. Uh, not actually though, um, but yeah, no, we had uh, we, we we were Santa Claus supporters for sure in our family. Um, and the interesting thing is is that uh, as as men. <laughs> As often is the case, as kids get older, they stop believing in Santa Claus. And usually there comes a point where your parents will come in and will have a talk with you about uh, about you know the, the facts of the matter, as it were. And well, growing up, we like we always went to like my mom's company always had an annual Christmas party for the kids. And there was there was a Santa there who would, you know, you'd tell what you want and you'd get a present for showing up, uh, which is very much into millennial culture. But anyways, um, so I never I always knew that those like mall Santas or whatever were not real. But I always was like firmly in the belief that, oh, yeah, well, they're just, you know, obviously the. Santa can't be going to all these places at once, but there's got to be some guy up there controlling the strings. And it wasn't until I was like, my parents never ever like sat me down and were like, listen, it's time to grow up, <laughs> get out of here. Uh, they, <laughs> they basically, it, it all came down to when I was 12 years old, I got something that I'd wanted for years. I got a PSP um, because all the cool kids had PSPs back in the day. And for those of you who are younger than the PSP era, which I would be shocked if anybody was listening, they were small, uh, it was PlayStation Portable, a small games console created by Sony. And it had like small discs that you actually put into the back of it, which is just, I I think it's like looking back on it, it's kind of pants on head stupid that they would have physical media that's spinning around like it just takes a lot of battery and it could get sh- shaken around. Anyways, I digress. Uh, so I I got one of these for Christmas from quote unquote Santa, and I had there was like some problem with like the the electronics or something. And by this time, like I was already like fairly convinced that like yeah, of course Santa doesn't exist. I'm 12 years old, get over it. And I was like, when there was a problem, I'm contacted sony support and they said yeah just send along like the receipt for it and then uh you can send it in we'll repair it free of charge and so like, i went up to my mom and was like hey do you have a receipt for it and she just kind of had this like really sad look in her eye and she was like do you believe in a hundred dollars which was like the like the cost to repair it without that and i think that part of the reason why it kind of came to that point was i'm the youngest kid of the family and maybe it was a sign of the end of an era and it was just something that was like, yeah, this is this is the last time that my kids will be able to to have like that full believing in Santa experience. But and we still obviously we still carry out like the Santa tradition and whatnot. It's just everybody's kind of in on the joke now. So that's kind of my my experience with the whole Santa story. Right, right. I what do you, so what kind of 
as far as your slow realization goes that well not so slow but you know kind of slow uh realization goes that santa wasn't real what what kind of do you think that it was a overall positive impact that it had on both your parents and yourself and your family dynamic that's really tough to say because obviously you can't really compare to how it would have gone any other way i don't think it hurt anything for sure um but i don't yeah it was it was probably it, it may have it may have been like extended the amount of the whole kid phase of our lives in some way but like i didn't have any resentment or anything that like either santa claus wasn't real or that my parents wouldn't tell me right away um but yeah i don't i don't know if it would have had any concrete impacts in that way because I, I don't really think that it I, I let it bother me too much the fact that it was like a bag had been lifted over my head and i finally right. see the world yikes militant santa Coming to a chimney near you. So Yikes. <laughs> what, what was your experience like? <laughs> um, I don't know if I've ever told you this, actually. But I was told right from as soon as I could remember by my parents. They were like, Santa is not real. <laughs> hmm. I never, I, I grew up knowing that Santa wasn't real. And they never told me not to tell other kids, but I, I think I grew up convinced that other kids also knew hmm. for some reason I was just, I just assumed that everyone was in on the joke. So when people would talk about Santa, I was like, Oh, haha, funny. Right. But nobody was laughing. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and I, I think it's, I don't know. Like I, someone I, I used to be friends with was, they were very adamant that I had missed out on something, some huge part of my childhood. Like they were convinced that I didn't have a childhood because of this. And uh, I, I really don't feel that way. Even, even hearing this, actually, especially hearing the stories about how people learned that there was no Santa. I don't feel like I missed out at all, really. Like I also don't think that I had it any better than other kids. Like I, I think it all evens out, right? Because you get the hope and the magical intrigue of Santa Claus when you're a kid. And then you also get the, the big realization later on and the questioning of your trust of your parents. <laughs> but, it could uh, be a traumatic experience. No, for sure. Yeah. But in my case, I just didn't get either of those things. But Christmas for me was still a super wondrous and magical time, right? Like, yeah. it's not like I didn't look forward to Christmas or something. It's not like... We didn't do presents and all all the things that everyone else does. We just did not have Santa. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense to me because like you can still enjoy all the good aspects of the holiday season. Like if you're missing one part, like it's not really a it's it's not really a deal breaker, you know? Right. But what what really interests me actually is uh there was a there was a girl I used to date and she was on she was on the same boat that that friend was on. She was like that I had missed out on a huge part of childhood. And at one point it actually came to contention between us where she was like, like my kids, whenever I have kids, I'm going to have, they're going to have Santa Claus. Right. And at the time I was like, well, my kids aren't going to have Santa Claus. Now, <laughs> now eventually I, I did figure out a compromise and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, 
and I'll go from the angle that basically when my kid starts to figure it out, I'll tell them. Uh, and I got this from a very interesting post on the internet. Actually, you basically you tell them that Santa Claus, there are many different Santa Clauses. And basically what it involves is being selfless and giving to someone who needs it. Right. So then you can also like use that as a way to quote unquote induct your kid into the club of Santa Clauses where they have to pick out someone who they know who could use an extra, you know, like an extra helping hand, an extra, some sort of gift in the holidays. And you get them to do something selfless for someone else. And then they become quote unquote, a Santa Claus. So I was like, that's really cool. I can get on board with that. Um, but I, I digress from that. I just found it very interesting that some people have made up their minds about this, where they're like, I, my kids are going to have Santa and there is no, no way that that is not going to be the case. So I'm, I'm curious about you, Warren, what, when you, when, and if you have children, are they going to have a Sinterklaas? No, we're, we're, we're a Krampus family. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that I would, I, I really do like the, um, the spirit behind the, the, like the post that you read that kind of told you about that thing. And I think that it teaches a lot of really important lessons. And I, I feel like that's probably a really, like a kind of a healthy way to approach the thing because not only are you giving them both sides without any significant letdown, uh, at least theoretically, not any significant letdown. You never know. Some some kids might take it a little harder, but I think that the best thing that comes out of it is that you're teaching them some of the skills that will help make them a better person and a more compassionate and caring member of society. And so I think that I would like to give my kids the Santa experience, but I think that I'm not just going to kind of let it die out naturally on its own and just like never address the subject like I experienced for 12 years. Right. I think I'm going to like, there's, there's going to come a time where it's it's going to come up. And, and then I think that, you know, you just have to address it. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest problem that I had with the whole concept of Santa Claus was the way that the transition is handled, mm -hmm. to be honest. Yeah, no, it is kind of a, it, it's, it's treated as a very black and white issue. And, and it's the same thing with the way that you were describing these parents that are like, my kid is going to have a Santa Claus come hell or high water, Debbie, I don't want to hear what you say. Um, and I think that that the whole idea of that there are so many black and white things in the world is it causes a lot of the world's problems. And I think that there's a lot of room for you know, kind of smoothing over the divisions and just helping them to see different realities rather than just being like, oh yeah, so everything you know is a lie. This is the new truth. Be like, no. So the things that you come, that you're coming from have a good solid base to where things are at, but try changing your thinking a little bit and then like growing from it. Right. There's, there's gotta be an in-between. And also you heard it here first, Santa Claus causes the world's problems. All right. Yep. Never forget everybody you need to know that. <laughs> well, it's, it's just the idea of Santa Claus as a capitalist icon. Oh my God. Coca-Cola. Yeah. Well, I don't think we're going to get into that. I, you know yeah. what? I gotta, I gotta take it back when I said we didn't have any unique traditions. I just remembered uh, something that we did. <laughs> um, okay. So I come from a very theatrical, very, expressive family all all five of us i have four siblings and all of us are we were all involved in like theater drama in high school and all that and growing up apparently so our our tradition 
for a while there was we would put on Christmas plays for a family, which I know some families do. It's not super unique, but uh, I think we did the nativity story twice. I think I was Joseph every single time. My my twin sister was Mary every single time. <laughs> and that left my brother, the middle child, to be the donkey every <laughs> single time. <laughs> How wonderful. Yeah, I, I'd say that's the most unique. Um, and then a couple of years ago, now that we are fully fully adults all of us are over 20 years old um we decided to put on another christmas play but this one we didn't rehearse and it, it got very dark very fast <laughs> and i don't think my parents enjoyed it at all i would love to hear i would love to see like a recording of that someday even though i'm sure that it probably doesn't exist yeah we made sure okay. it doesn't exist that's probably for the best <laughs> we uh one thing that one thing that we did in our family uh for pretty much as for pretty much my whole life until my grandmother moved down south is uh, she used to live in a city in northern Ontario called Sault Ste. Marie. And every year for Christmas, we would load up all the kids into the into the car and just cram it to the ceiling with all of our luggage and Christmas presents and all of that. And so we always got to spend our Christmases up in the north. And for many years, um, you can call it climate change, global warming, whatever. There hasn't been many green Christmases down in the GTA. Like this always tends to be, or there hasn't been many white Christmases. It always tends to be a so-called green Christmas or more appropriately, probably a brown Christmas because everything is kind of dead at that time of year. But uh, that was the one really cool thing that I really always appreciated was that we always had a white Christmas growing up because we would go up into the North where, it snows around from November till April. It's just kind of the reality. And I, I'm guessing it was probably similar to you uh, where you were, because there's probably a little bit more snow out, out that way. Yeah. Yeah. We, we lived in yeah. the snow belt for sure. And then another thing that we, we did a few years and I was always hoping it would become like an annual tradition when I was a kid, but like it never, like it was kind of hit and miss, but sometimes we would go out for walks on Christmas Eve um, at like maybe like eight in the evening or something and just kind of go walk around, look at some of the Christmas lights in the neighborhood. And then often when we would come back, Santa would have already arrived and dropped off all the presents in the rec room of my grandmother's basement. And that was just always like a really fun time because it got us out the outdoors, spending time together as a family away from, you know, television. I can't say phones because those weren't a thing back then, but uh, it just, yeah, it just brought all the family together for some, like, and just enjoying the the spirit of the season with all the lights and the snow. And, and then you come back and then, Mr. Sinterklaas has arrived. So it's, it's just, that was, that was something that yeah. I really, really appreciated. I can't imagine living in a place that, uh, that didn't get snow around the holiday season. Like I, I know we've had Christmas as well, where there hasn't been any snow particularly on Christmas day, but I, I can't imagine a winter going by without going out and just hearing basically nothing because it's all muted from I the amount that of snow so that's much. around it's perfect yeah, eh? it really is and I've, I've really been embracing that here because where i'm living is like i'm actually out not in the town i'm actually out in the countryside on about 100 acres of land and so it's just darkness and silence as far as you can see in here it's it's pretty spectacular it sounds beautiful come visit i will across the yes. pond <laughs> Uh. <laughs> so one thing I was hoping to uh, to touch upon today was um, obviously uh, this season particularly there's been a lot of 
news on Christmas music, and in particular, the song Baby It's Cold Outside. And we're not going to get into that on in this episode because it's been discussed enough times elsewhere. And and I feel like, I mean, at this point, it's kind of beating it to death. But uh, I was just wondering if there are a few maybe less mainstream Christmas songs or even mainstream Christmas songs, like any ones that you particularly really enjoy around this time of year. Ooh. Hmm. You know what? Or do you even like Christmas music in the first place? That's a, that's a, I love Christmas music. Huge fan. Um, uh, in those plays that I mentioned, uh, (laughs) we would actually, we would always use like one of our, it was, it was always a very, it wasn't a well-known Christmas CD, but we'd use a Christmas CD from like the 1990s or eighties or something as our soundtrack. Like someone would be standing by the stereo hitting play on the different tracks when we needed them. So there's, there's quite a few Christmas songs that I can guarantee people listening have never heard. And honestly are probably not that good, (laughs) but, but when I, I hear them, obviously that's, that's kind of what Christmas music is for, right? You, it takes you back into that moment that you were in. So there's, there's quite a few Christmas songs that I, in particular, that I can think of that I won't even bother mentioning the name of because I don't, I, yeah, you wouldn't get anything out of it. <laughs> I remember uh, we had a Raffi CD and I'm pretty sure he did a, a version of, we wish you a cre- uh, Merry Christmas, which was, we fish you a hairy Christmas. Um, and I'm pretty sure we, we just thought that was the best thing ever as kids, but I might be. Of course you that. did. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of played into who I am today. Hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and there was, there was another time when we were driving around in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, it was like my dad, my siblings and I, I think we probably like went skating or tobogganing or something and we were coming home and it was probably Christmas day. So they didn't have anybody in the radio booth. They just kind of had like a record player. Uh, just like playing tracks but I think it w- they were playing an actual record because it kept skipping and like it would just like repeat like the same two words over and over again for like a couple minutes at a time and again we thought it was just the funniest thing ever and <laughs> it offered many many laughs on that uh, that year but <laughs> it's like jingle 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 uh, jingle would... jingle bell <laughs> I mean I'm glad you found that funny i I would force my CD players and movies to do that just to annoy my siblings, but I'm glad you had a good time. How do you force a CD to skip? Oh boy, you just hit it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Wow. Yeah, I, I was I was thinking about some of my favorite Christmassy songs, and I, I was thinking about three that might be a little bit lesser known, but um, they're also probably you know fairly well known in their own right. So the my my number three of my Warren's lesser known Christmas songs is uh, Bare Naked Ladies did this really cool version of Carol of the Bells. And uh, with special shout out to James on that one, because he is a uh, Bare Naked Ladies fan. But yeah, they did this really awesome version of uh, Carol of the Bells. And the reason I love it is because like the first note, first sounds you hear come from a Rhodes electric piano, a Fender Rhodes. And like, that's pretty much my favorite electric piano sound of all time. And then they do this really cool, uh, like it's not quite a cappella because that kind of implies that there's no instruments, but it's instrumental. But they kind of scat with their voices and they create some of the 
the like the musical accompaniments to go with like this Rhodes backing track and it's just it's just a really neat um unique sounding piece that I I definitely like. Warren, I think you're the only person I know who would say that something is your favorite electronic piano sound of all yeah, time. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> I don't know. Whirlies are not bad, but roads are definitely where it's at. <laughs> but anyway, so that was my number three. My second one is a little bit well-known. It's um, it's the version of Otanenbaum by Vince Guaraldi, by the Vince Guaraldi trio. And um, if you don't know that name already, you will immediately be able to think of the name when you, uh, when you think of the Charlie Brown Christmas special back from, I guess it was probably the 60s it came out, if I'm I'm guessing correctly, but yeah, it's like jazz trio and it was just kind of, it's just a very warm and inviting sound. And I, I, I guess I kind of associate it with watching the movie as well growing up because it was a particularly low time for Charlie Brown and he managed to find some joy in, in, uh, in this little Christmas tree that he got. And this music is kind of softly playing in the background. And of course, that scene ends abruptly when the music just stops as after he kills this tree. But like for the moment, it's quite nice. Just on the note of Charlie Brown Christmas, I feel like there's a lot of hidden messages just in that final 10 minutes with the with the tree that I did not pick up on even even up till this year. So now that now that I'm just thinking about it, I, I need to rewatch it as soon as possible. Please continue. What's. What sort of messages were you were you getting to there? Well, even just like the the main the main thing I'm thinking of right now is, you know, like there's the there's the obvious message uh, where all his friends like dress it up and, uh, you know, they they help out and make it beautiful and they all sing "Hark the Herald Angels Sing." Beautiful ending, I love it. Beautiful, but I think there's something to be said for just the fact that he does he does like to put. He takes this tree that's like very, it's very real, right? It's very natural compared to all the other ones. It's it's the real deal. And as soon as he tries to dress it up with an ornament and, you know, like put something artificial on it, it it can't take it. It just, it wilts. It's, it's like this, it's almost like it's not even what it's made for at the time. But I, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing that they do turn it into a Christmas tree. I think that's really nice. And it's it's a one of my favorite Christmas specials of all time. But I do think that just that that shot, as funny as it is, where Charlie Brown's like, everything I do is wrong. I think there there is something to be taken from that. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like it kind of exposes how a lot of people do feel kind of down and lonely and dejected over the holiday season because there's the whole notion that oh you're supposed to be surrounded by family and friends and everything is supposed to be magical and perfect and yeah it kind of like sets up those unrealistic expectations in a way yeah and and the the tree then the small tree is almost like a a representation of some people and how they feel during the holidays you know i suppose i'll have to give this some more thought and unpacking <laughs> And then uh, my, but the last thing that I wanted to mention, it's, it's arguably not really a Christmas song. So I was kind of unsure about adding it to the list, but um, John Coltrane did a version of my favorite things. And some people will like say that that's, you know, Christmassy because it's talking about gifts and, and it's kind of a winter theme, but uh, this is definitely, I, I'm a jazz guy and this is definitely more into the harder side of like, like old style jazz so it's not 
maybe as accessible as other things are, but just the way that they've turned this song that I had listened to every year since I was growing up, because I'm from an Austrian family. And so we would always watch the sound of music. And so just hearing that old uh, classic from that movie soundtrack in a different way, it just, it just kind of blew me away. And uh, the, the piano player on that record is named McCoy Tyner. And he just does some really neat things on the piano there. He's a great player. And I've actually tried to tried to kind of like learn a little bit of that song as well. And I have like a very amateurish version of it that I've been able to kind of teach myself. And, and that, that was a really cool experience for me because normally I, you, I learn new music using what's known as lead sheets, which is basically in the jazz world. It's just the melody line with chord symbols above it. So it's not like the full sheet music uh, that you would get in classical music. And so this was one that I managed to learn and figure out the notes to without any sort of notation. And so that was kind of a neat experience as well. Well, yeah, that's a, uh, that is, that's quite the connection there because, uh, especially with music that you really relate to. And in your case, you play, there's, there's even, there's an even stronger sentiment there, uh, that's developed, I think. Yeah, I I'd, I'd agree. So that's kind of my overview of some of my family's Christmas traditions and some favorite music of mine. And I guess I just, I'm looking forward to suffering through this last week and then enjoying some, some well-deserved time off. It's going to be nice to I'm see everybody again. I'm looking forward to the next time I'll be able to see you, my dude. Yeah, you as well, Ben. It's, it's been, it's been very interesting being away from the whole social network and like my best friend who's down working away and making a name for himself. And it's awesome to see. It's just, you know, it's not the same if you're not right there beside him. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, I'm interested to see where and how our careers are going to uh, align us in the future. Yeah, that's for sure. I hope that uh, there's some some cool stuff in the making. So anyways, Ben, did you want to uh, give us a little sign off on the so-called Across the Pond cast, if that name sticks? Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you made it all the way to the end here give yourself a nice give yourself a nice peck on the hand i guess uh thanks again great talking to you warren always a pleasure ben i'm just doing the hand thing i'm not actually looking to interrupt the conversation i see uh yeah <laughs> see you next time see you next time thanks for listening thanks for listening that was a thunderdog podcast <laughs>